Dear God, we thank you for each person here. Lord, we do uh, lift up our world and very specifically uh, the real challenges and violence that the nation of Israel, your covenant people, are facing at this moment in this season. We pray for your protection, for your wisdom, that you would guide them through this difficult, painful time. Lord, we do ask that you be with each person here. We thank you for bringing them here today and just pray that there would be a word of encouragement or challenge or comfort uh, that would call them forward and help them to flourish and thrive in their lives. This is our prayer in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If it helps you, your learning style in the bulletin, there is an outline. I encourage you to pull that out. Now, I have never in my life until recently watched a cooking show. Um, you know, I can handle Pop-Tarts and spaghetti and a few things. I just really didn't need it. So, but lately, there was this show called Master Chef, and there was a young woman that my wife and I know who lives here in Fairbanks, Lizzie, who was on the show. And so we've been watching this show called Master Chef, and it's you know, kind of funny to, to watch. One of the things that's really crucial is that when you make your dish, whatever it is, that you don't forget or mix up an ingredient. And one poor contestant made the mistake of putting in salt instead of sugar. And you're like, oh, that's not good. It, the ingredients matter. Having all the ingredients, having the right ingredients matter when you're cooking. Or imagine if you're Eli Lilly, the pharmaceutical company, if you're making a medicine for people, having all the right ingredients, that matters. You don't want to leave something out. You don't want to put the wrong thing in. And this morning, we're going to look at our prayer lives. And one of the key ingredients, one of the most crucial ingredients uh, Jesus points to is faith in this particular passage. And so we're going to dig into this, Mark chapter 11, verse 20 through 25. Now, I want you to kind of listen. There's some things that we need to keep out of our lives, and there's something that he is promoting, prescribing, which is faith. Now, one image that I love of Jesus is that he is the great physician. So imagine sitting down with Jesus in a doctor's office, and he's going to look at us. He's going to offer us some diagnosis. He's going to offer us some prescription to help us in the health of our lives. Now, Mark 11, verse 20 through 25, in the morning as they went along, this is the apostles and Jesus, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now, this is a remarkable passage. I think when we look at this passage, we see there's some problems. If we're in that doctor office with Jesus, he is going to say to us, okay, there's some issues here. I have a diagnosis for you, and the first part of the diagnosis is fruitlessness. Now, 
what we see is, notice in this um, passage a little earlier, Mark chapter 11, verse 12 and 13, it says, the next day they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went out, so it's in leaf, it looks like it's going to offer figs or fruit, he went to find out if it had any fruit, when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Now, Jesus puts a curse on this fig tree. You might be like, well, this is an odd story. This is not Jesus getting angry and losing his cool. This is not Jesus sinning. We believe Jesus lived a sinless life. This is Jesus walking out his character and walking out his values. And one of the things that he values is God values that we are fruitful. And what happens is that fig tree when it was the off-season, would produce this, it's called tikosh, which is like a nut. And so it was all leafed up, and it looks like either you're going to get figs or you're going to get the off-season, which is this nut. It offered neither, which means that this tree is promising that it's bearing fruit, but it's actually fruitless. And that's what makes Jesus upset. It's what makes him angry. We see that God highly values a fruitful life, a life that produces fruit. And we, it goes all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, he, he values it physically. Then said God, let the land produce veg- vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds, and it was so. We see that he values it in people. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. So, you know, once the earth, the great reset of the flood, he's like, Be fruitful, have a bunch of kids, and fill the earth. As you just saw with our great Exodus every week, this church does well on that particular command. Um, And then there's spiritual fruitfulness. Okay, John chapter 15, verse 2, Jesus is speaking, and he says this, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. See, bearing no fruit's a big deal. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, pruning is a little bit painful. Like if we could interview a plant when it's being pruned, the plant would probably not enjoy the pruning. And so God prunes us to make us even more fruitful. There are times he allows or sends adversity and affliction into our lives to make us more fruitful. If you look at Jesus still speaking a little further down in John 15, verse 4 and 5, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When it comes down to the spiritual fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, you know, like love and joy and peace and patience, you know, the nine fruits of the Spirit, the, you know, leading people to Christ, expanding the kingdom, we need to be connected to the vine, to Jesus, and so that we can bear fruit. We can't do this and make real progress, substantial lasting progress on our own. John 15, 16, so a little further in this passage, it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and then catch the last part, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Notice that he attaches fruitfulness, 
bearing fruit to prayer. Prayer is one of the most powerful ways we can bear fruit in our lives. It is our primary tactic. It is our primary method. As a church, we have a prayer meeting every single morning at 7 a.m. You're welcome to come if you want. And so it is, it is the work in many ways. Now, of course, we volunteer. Of course, we give. Of course, we do a lot of other things. But one of the things that I read years ago, I don't remember who said it first, but the goal here of a church, the goal of our church is not to see what we can do, what we can pull off. It's to see what God can do. And the way to do that is to reach out to him in prayer, to invite him into our lives and into the mission that he has called us to. Now, one other thing to note about fruit. A fruit tree does not like get to eat its own fruit, right? When, you, when a fruit tree produces fruit, that fruit is for others. And so, for instance, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that really benefits, I mean, it does benefit us, but it mostly benefits other people. That patience, that kindness, it benefits your spouse, your kids, your neighbor, your friend. And so, the fruit benefits others. We need to keep that in mind. And then kind of the final last idea on fruitfulness. In Revelation 22.2, we're given this beautiful image in, of the new heavens and the new earth. And part of that uh, picture as we roll the tape forward in history to the end, the new heavens and new earth, is we see fruitfulness is part of that picture. Uh, Revelation 22.2, down the middle of the great street of the city, that's the new Jerusalem, on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So we have this beautiful picture of continual fruitfulness. God wants this for us. Now, what's interesting about this particular passage that we've been reading is of the fig tree being cursed is that it brackets an incident. And the incident is Jesus cleansing, clearing out the temple. Now, as a kid, I thought Jesus did this one time. As an adult, when you go back and read all the Gospels, it looks like Jesus cleanses the temple at the beginning of his ministry, and then he cleanses his te the temple at the end of his ministry, which is what we're looking at here. And this primary text that we started with brackets the cleansing of the temple. And so most theologians, when they look at this, the idea is that Jesus goes and he sees the temple of God, which God has this beautiful covenant relationship with Israel, genetic Israel. And part of it was this temple, the front part of the temple, Gentiles could actually go to that part. They could actually learn. This is the missionary section. This is where they could be pointed to the one true God. But instead of that, what the Jewish leadership had allowed or promoted was this marketplace that took advantage of people, this marketplace that jacked up the prices, this marketplace that, you know, if somebody, a Jewish person brought a, a lamb to be sacrificed, they go, well, I'm not sure that's quite up to snuff. You're going to have to take one of our lambs and pay this much higher price for that. It's not exactly the same, but the, the concept is, you know, the gouging thing. It's the difference between you buying some popcorn and making a bag of popcorn at home and you buying a bag of popcorn at 
the movie theater, right? Significant difference. You know, one of the goofy things is, you know, there was a robbery at the movie theater last night and $30,000 of, of material was taken. Well, that's a large popcorn and a Coke <laughs> and a side of Skittles or something. I mean, it's it just jacked up pricing. And so Jesus is very angry when the very place that's to be outwardly focused and to point people to God becomes this, let's be greedy and let's grab things from people. And so, so what we have here is Jesus honestly is rebuking the Jewish people of that time and era. They had been prepared for hundreds and hundreds of years for their Messiah. Jesus shows up. He does miracles among them. And many, most of the leadership and many of the Jewish people rejected their own Messiah, even though they were the prepared people. And so this is a rebuke about fruitlessness. This is the people that were supposed to be pointing others to God. Now, let's not just point the finger at them. We have fruitlessness in our own lives. We have seasons where we don't walk this out. This is a human condition, not just their condition. Uh, Jesus, when he, in Isaiah uh, 56, he quotes Isaiah 56, 7, part C, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You were supposed to be pointing people to prayer, pointing people to God, and instead you made it, in his words, a den of thieves. And so he's very angry about this. He is upset about this. He is heartbroken about the spiritual state of that generation of Israel. He is often heartbroken when he looks at, say, the American church and our spiritual state, and he does not see fruitfulness. Fruitfulness matters. He wants that in us. He wants to see it. And so we want to step back. I think a question of evaluation is, am I being fruitful? How is God bearing fruit? How is the Holy Spirit bearing fruit through my life? What does that look like? And so, you know, sometimes that fruit of the Spirit doesn't always show. Maybe you get, you're driving and somebody cuts you off. I laughed a friend of mine the other day. He's driving. Somebody cut him off and he just, you know, unloaded on them. Not that they could hear him, but his phone says, that's not very nice. <laughs> so rebuked by Siri, I guess. Are we fruitful? God wants to call us to fruitfulness. This brings him honor. I was reading a story by missionary Dr. Bob Bailey in Africa, and he had a church that met outside of a village, and they met under this tree, this particular tree. They didn't have a building. And so they're meeting there, and then once when they're not there, this witch doctor who opposes the work of the church comes out and publicly puts a curse on this church's tree, their, their meeting spot. And the tree withered. The whole village watches this tree. It, it withers. It looks like it dies. And Dr. Bob Bailey wasn't sure, like, well, this is a weird situation. What do we do with this? And he decided, so he took the leaders out there and they laid hands on the tree. This is unusual. And they prayed over the tree because he felt like that the church had not just lost a tree, but had lost authority in the village. That it looked like the, that these, you know, demonic, the power of the demonic had more power than, than God did. So they prayed over this tree, and this tree, in a sense, it looks like it resurrects. It comes back to life. And as a matter of fact, um, I, I love what he said. You know, he goes, because you feel a little weird laying hands on a tree. But he's, he said, we did, and we prayed about it. And he said this. He said, look, Lord, 
We want this tree to, you know, to be okay, to blossom and to flourish. And he said this. He said, look, it's not my name that's at stake. And God did, like, resurrect that tree. And it began to produce not just fruit once a year, but it was the only tree of its type that would produce fruit twice a year. It was fruitful. And that spoke to that village. It pointed to the power of God. Fruitfulness is a huge desire of God. It is important that we are fruitful for the kingdom. I appreciate Jews for Jesus, which is an organization that shares the gospel with those of genetic Israel. It's in a sense, in our lives, how can we be fruitful? Do we ever lead a friend to Christ? Do we, are we generous with our finances? Do we take in a foster kid? Do we feed a hungry person working here at the church as a volunteer? Do we come alongside kids that need help? And so the first diagnosis, if Jesus looks at us and says, hey, there's something you need to work on in life here is this fruitlessness. The second diagnosis that we need to face is unforgiveness. So I imagine Jesus pulling out like an x-ray and saying, you see that mass near your heart? That's a mass of resentment, of unforgiveness. Notice in our text, Mark eleven twenty five, and when you stand praying... If you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Now, you may not be able to fully reconcile with them. There may not be a way back. They may have completely burned the bridge. But you need to let go of the bitterness. You need to let go of the resentment. You need to move forward in your life and actually forgive this person because unforgiveness will hold you back in your spiritual life in general and in your prayer life specifically. Because here we are going to God, making requests, and he sees this great area of disobedience. Now, it's understandable because someone has hurt us or wounded us, but he sees that. Author Norman Vincent Peale appreciated the time. He, he, went, um, he's on the, he had found a big black cigar, and he went behind the barn, and he's smoking the cigar. Here he is, a kid, and then he sees his dad come out, and this was a long time ago, and Norman Vincent Peale said he saw his dad get the wagon, hook up the horses, and he loved to go to town. That was a big deal. And so he is like, you know, thought he kept himself hidden. He stomped out the cigar. He got rid of the evidence, and he comes out to his dad, and he says to his dad, hey, can I go to town with you? And his father says this. His father says, son, never make a bold request while harboring a smoldering disobedience. And so how dare we make bold requests of a holy God when we defy him in various ways? Specifically, he's a relational God. At his very core, he's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we, in our relationships, don't offer forgiveness to people. God has shown his grace to us, and we are to turn and show his grace to others. Now, I know we all kind of it's kind of fun when somebody sticks it to somebody else. It amuses me. I admit that. I think of a good friend of mine in college at Taylor University, and he, he had bought two tickets to the circus. They had come to town, and he wanted to take a date. So he called this girl, invited her to the circus. She says no. Calls another girl, invite her to the circus. She says no. Calls another girl. She says no. Fourth girl says no. 
calls the fifth girl, invites her to the circus. She says yes. Before he can stop himself, he says, I'm so glad you said yes. You're the fifth girl I've called. Oh, she still went. They had a good time, but I appreciated her, her feistiness. After the date, she wrote him a thank you note, and I saw the envelope, and Neil, my friend, showed it to me, and on the front it said, Steve crossed out, Bob crossed out, John crossed out, down to Neil. And we love that, right? Some of you are old enough to remember President Ronald Reagan challenging Gorbachev, the Russian leader, tear down this wall in Berlin. And God wants you to tear down the walls that are in your heart towards whoever an ex-spouse, a grown child that you believe is being ungrateful, a neighbor you think is being unreasonable, a business partner you think is being unethical. We are still called to forgive. Doesn't mean we always stay in relationship. Remember, I talked about this last week, as far as it is possible with us. Matthew 6, uh, verse 12 through 14, here we have part of the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus says this, and forgive us our debts, notice this, as we have also forgiven our debtors. That's an interesting request. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then it goes on, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Forgiving people is a big deal. It's a huge deal. It is part of what connects us, keeps us connected to God. We want to be linked in to the vine so that we can pray powerfully and live fruitfully. This is our call. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, at the heart of our faith is forgiveness that we've received and we're to turn around and give to others. Uh, Ephesians 4, 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Our prayers can be hindered by unforgiveness. Franny Crosby, who wrote thousands of hymns, I, I saw some said 8,000 hymns, some said 9,000 hymns. That's hard for me to even comprehend. Eight to 9,000 hymns. Franny Crosby, as a small child, the town, her, her family doctor was out of town, and this other guy, who was, he was a poser, he was pretending, he came in and pretended to be a doctor. He did not know what he was doing. She was two months old, and he put this hot mustard plaster on her eyes, and it blinded her. Can you imagine being blinded by an imposter? by a deceiver, that would be an easy thing to let fester in your heart, right? To have bitterness about. But she chose not to. She chose to forgive. She chose to be a person of grace. And out of that grace flowed this beautiful gift God had given her to write poetry and hymns and songs. You may recognize the song, Blessed Assurance, or To God Be the Glory. Those are some that that she was able to share with the church because she didn't harbor that resentment in her heart. So the good physician's prescription is faith in God. There's some things we need to get rid of. We need to make sure we're, we're not fruitless. We need to make sure that we are not unforgiving. But the good physician's prescription is faith in God. Mark eleven twenty two. he says, have faith in God. This is unwavering trust. 
Sometimes English struggles with, you know, with the original languages. It's not as good. I, I don't love our English word believe. It's, it's a good word, but I don't love it because I don't think it communicates. Because for a lot of us, um, when we hear the word believe, we just think intellectual assent. Like, I nod. Like, yeah. Believe is trust. It's not just that I intellectually assent that that chair is there. It's that I trust the chair enough that I go sit on the chair. I put my trust on the chair. I think it can hold my weight. That's what believing, faith, trust, that's what those words are about. And that's what we're called to do is to have trust, faith, belief in God. Mark Batterson once said, the size of our prayer depends on the size of our God. Have you looked at your prayers lately? Are they small? Are they self-centered? If God said yes to every prayer you prayed, would you be the only one that benefits? Or are they big and kingdom-minded and they would make a difference in this community, in this state, in this country, and around the world? I remember as a young man, a lot of my prayers, particularly for the church, as one being in church leadership, were things that I'd pray about that we could pull off as a church if we worked really hard. And I, I have changed how I pray. I pray for things, at least some things, that there's no way we can do. Because the goal is not to see what we can do as a church, the goal is to see what God can do. And we come alongside as partners, as companions, as friends. Now, God is not our genie. God does not do everything we ask for. Um, there, you know, as you, as you look at this and think about it, he's, he's God. He can say yes, he can say no. In college, I've shared this, but this was a classic moment for me. I, you know, I have terrible vision. I hate the fact I have to wear these super thick glasses. I mean, my prescription at the, you go to the glass, the optometrist, you know, there's my prescription right next to that. They have a little seeing eye dog tied to the, you know, to the chair. And I hate that. I don't like that. I would love to get up in the morning, actually be able to see. Wouldn't that be nice? And so I was in college and I was wearing contacts at the time and, and I was like, Lord, what if you want to heal me and give me perfect vision? And so I boldly washed my contacts down the sink and prayed for healing and went to bed. Well, you see the answer. The answer was no. But you know what? I know that one's not on the table, right? I have, I have checked. I have, I have looked. He said no. Now, Theologically, I've got to be a theologian here. Theologically, he does eventually say yes because in the new heavens and new earth, we get new bodies and I will have perfect vision. If there's something better than 2020, I'm going to have it, right? And so that's a, that's a beautiful thing. God is going to answer our prayers when we walk by faith. Do you pray with a strong sense of expectation? Do you pray that with the sense that you are deeply and passionately loved by God, not just tolerated by him? We are to trust him. Now, be careful about wanting the spectacular miracle. Sometimes he does do that. But do remember that doesn't guarantee 
you know, spiritual maturity. Remember the generation of Jewish people that saw the great outpouring of the miraculous in getting them out of slavery in Egypt? That generation did not do well spiritually. And they saw incredible things. Many people who witnessed the incredible face-to-face miracles with Jesus didn't even come to faith, let alone mature in the faith. So miracles aren't maybe as impressive as we think they are when it comes to actually building faith. But boy, they're nice when they show up. You know, I love it when God shows off. If you've never done it, ask me, hey, hey, Derek, take me on a little tour around the building, and I will tell you some of our fun, miracle, dramatic answers to prayer kind of stories. I got to share some of those yesterday with the ladies who came to the conference. And those, I love those. God answers in ways I, I'm not even thinking about. When we were in the movie theater for 12 years, we had a nursery, and you know, so it had rockers, and it had all these things for the, the kids, and it was, it was a lot of money to buy all the nursery stuff. Well, when we were trying to raise the money for that, for all the things, uh, the church I grew up at called me up and said, hey, we're going to do a shower for your nursery. Never even occurred to me. And they set up this like online, you know, where you could go in and all the items were picked out at Walmart and you could buy it online and it shipped it to us. And so we had this fully paid for nursery handed to us because they basically threw a baby shower in Indianapolis, Indiana at Chapel Rock Christian Church to bless us. Now, if you had asked me before that happened, hey, Derek, how's your nursery going to get taken care of? I would not have come up with that. But we serve and pray to a God who is creative and is for us and loves us and desires to advance the kingdom. Now, Jesus will work with whatever faith you've got. You may have to start a prayer. I love the story of a man who brought his child who needed healing, brings it to the apostles. They fail. Jesus wasn't with them. He shows up and Jesus heals this child. But there's a conversation between Jesus and the father before Jesus heals the child where the father says, if you can help, if you can heal him. And Jesus is like, if? And then the man, in essence, apologizes and says, look, help me in my unbelief. And so maybe as you begin to pray boldly, maybe you need to start with the statement, an acknowledgement like that father and say, Lord, help me with my unbelief. I don't know if you're going to do this or not. I can't imagine that you would, but this is what I think would advance the kingdom and be good for people and would help. And and remember, I, I love what Archbishop Richard Trench once said. He said, praying is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his highest willingness. God wants to come alongside of us. God wants to bring glory to himself through how he answers Lots of people pray. Lots of people that aren't Christians will cry out in prayer in some way, shape, or form. But the difference with a Christian is that when we pray, it's like a small child climbing up in the lap of a father who loves us. There's that family relationship. We are beloved. We have that kind of connection. So there can be stunning results when we pray with faith. And if we don't pray, and don't pray with faith, it changes our lives, but not for the better. 
One author said, the less we pray, the smaller our lives will be. Don't you want a big, unexplainable life? Don't you want a life that at your funeral, they're like, they're going, some crazy stuff happened. And we know it's because he prayed. There are generations of children and grandchildren that are following Christ. And we know in part, it's because he prayed or she prayed. There are stunning results. Mark eleven twenty three and 24 of our primary text. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. I am shocked, honestly. I read the New Testament and I'm like, some of the statements Jesus makes about prayer surprise me and shock me. I think of John 14, 13, and 14. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Some of your parents, have you ever had that experience where your kid needs a check for money at school? And they don't exactly know how much. And so you sign the check. And with great trepidation, you hand the signed check that's blank to your child to take to school to fill in when they get the right amount. I feel like God has done that with prayer with us, in a sense. Now, it has to be according to his will. It has to be for his glory. No, you know, bold prayers to win the lottery. That's not going to work. Not going to happen. But God will do amazing things. There will be stunning results when we are people who pray with a boldness, a shameless audacity, wrapped up in faith, trust, deep trust in him. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, won't read it to you, but the, uh, the Jewish people for several hundred years cry out to God for deliverance from slavery and God responds and answers in a dramatic way and saves that nation from slavery. In John chapter 10, we see that the sun stood still because Joshua wanted more time for a battle. Now, my scientific mind, how does that work? Did the earth stop spinning? Did he just you know, keep the sun? I don't know how that works. I'm hoping there's an answer room in heaven. You know, I have questions. I have a notebook. But it says that there kept being light Maybe it's a little easier for those of us who live in Fairbanks to believe the extended light thing. But, you know, it's, it's... First Samuel, Hannah cries out to the Lord. Uh, she's barren and she wants a child and she's given Samuel the prophet as a child. Elijah prays and calls down fire from the sky on Mount Carmel to prove the one who is the one true God in front of all of Israel to watch. In Isaiah chapter 38, King Hezekiah is told by the prophet of God, Isaiah, that look, you're going to die. And he cries out to the Lord. He prays and asks for more time. And God gives him more time. Isn't that incredible? God says, okay, we'll give more time. And even does this miracle with the shadow on the steps to show that it's going to happen and that it's from him. Acts chapter 12, we see Peter, the apostle, the great leader of the apostles in prison and they're praying for his release and he is miraculously released from prison. 
If I could give you a homework assignment, it would be, you know, the Bible contains about 650 prayers. Why don't you go through and find one that really resonates with you and begin to pray that as part of your prayer life for a time. I love Psalm 1. I love Psalm 27. And I love the image that we're given in Scripture that we go to the throne of grace. I love that image because we're going to the throne of God. It is, it is powerful. It is a place of grace and mercy and compassion but it's still God. We're not going to the genie. We're not going to our butler who's going to do everything we ask. But we go to God and we are welcome there. And he is our loving father who desires what is best for us. One that, that many thought would never happen. But in this country, for decades, Christians prayed for the overturning of that awful uh, law case Roe versus Wade, which allowed 60 million babies to be murdered in this country. Now, that did not fix all of the abortion issues in this country. Now, it's state by state, and it's kind of going that battle. But that happened, I would say, because of the prayers of God's people. Nobody thought it would actually happen. At least, I didn't see anybody thinking it would actually work. God can bring down a mountain if he wants. And I get that this particular passage has that symbolic language, but don't blunt the force of the image. There's something that looks like a mountain to you. In prayer, God can handle it. In Mark chapter 10, verse 27, I mean, the image is clear that, that God can do things that are impossible. Jesus says this, with with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. A story I love, I've shared before, but it's Helen Resevere. This was in a book by Max Lucado years ago. It was a missionary doctor who spent 20 years in Congo at a clinic in an orphanage. And in the clinic, she had been there for four years and never received a package from home. She was working with a mother who died in labor and delivered a premature baby and the mother also had a two-year-old girl. So here's this premature baby who's in real trouble. And this two-year-old girl and the mother has passed away. The facility had no incubator or electricity. They needed to keep this newborn infant warm. The doctor went to the kids in the orphanage and just shared, can you pray about this? Because this baby's life is at stake. And little 10-year-old girl named Ruth prayed. And she prayed this. She said, please, God, send us a hot water bottle. It'll be no good tomorrow. God is the baby, will be dead. So please send it this afternoon. And while you're about it, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so that she knows that you really love her? That afternoon, the doctor was stunned to receive a package from home, first time in four years, and it had a water bottle, hot water bottle. I mean, they're on the equator, who sends a hot water bottle to the equator? Later that, you know, this 22-pound package also contained a doll for a child. This package, which also had bandages and jerseys and raisins and suntan lotion and all these other things, had been put in the mail five months earlier. We serve a God who is all-knowing and all-powerful and our prayer lives ought to reflect that. The big idea is Dr. Jesus says that prayer plus faith is, an incredible, is incredibly effective. Prayer plus faith 
Wrap your prayers in faith. It's incredibly effective. Let me close with a prayer from the Bible, one of my favorites. Some theologians refer to this as the perfect prayer. It's Mark chapter 14, verse 36. In context, this is Jesus in the garden. God the Son, fully divine but fully human, and in his humanness, he sees the torment and the pain and the tragedy and the agony of the cross. He sees he's going to experience the wrath of God the Father for the sins of the world, and his human side cries out with all that is within him, and he says, Abba, Father, Daddy, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. It is a beautiful, profound prayer. Now I want you to think about something. God the Father says no to Jesus. And out of that no is our very salvation. Think of that. The cross is a no to at least the human side of Jesus. So I guess what I'm trying to say is this. If God can bring the salvation of the world out of a no from the Son of God, what can he do with a yes? What can he do with a yes? I want you to pray this prayer with me. We do that? It's up on the screen. Here we go. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I don't know what your cup is. I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what the challenge is. But this is a beautiful, profound prayer. And I believe that this is how we are most effective. This is how we make the difference. To be people connected to the vine through prayer and we bear much fruit. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for each person here. Lord, may our prayer lives reflect who you are, your power, your knowledge, your strength. Lord, help us to be people who produce fruit that others get to enjoy. The fruit of patience, kindness. Lord, the fruit of hearing the gospel. The fruit of generosity. Lord, I just ask for your blessing on each person here. That they would go forth from here and experience a life where they flourish and thrive in connection to you where their prayer lives are powerful. We ask this in the name above all names, Jesus Christ, amen.